So if you will, we're going to be coming out of the book of Luke, chapter 7. And the word picks up, as you see it on the, on, on the screen here, in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. <clears throat> and it says, And it came to pass the day after that he went to a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him, much people. Now when he came near to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. <clears throat> and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said unto her, Weep not. And he came and he touched the bear, and they that bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead set up and began to speak. And as he delivered him to his mother, there came a great fear on the mall, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet is risen among us, that God had visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all of Judea and throughout all the region thereabout. As we begin to start understanding and reading this passage, I want you I want to point out something to you right off the bat here that I noticed, and that's the, the name of the, of the city itself called Nain. In our English, in our English language, if we want to we have different spellings of words to, to create the, the definition of those words. For example, if I say let's go to the store, let's go, um, let's go with their car, I'm gonna spell that word T-H-E-I-R. If I want to say, hey, come on, let's go over there, I'm gonna spell that word T-H-E-R-E. But in the Greek and the Hebrew language, I want you to understand that many words have the same spelling but different meanings. It just so happens that the word nan is one of those words. And one of the meanings for the word nan, and let's keep in mind this is a city, so one of the, word, one of the meanings for the word nan is, is called beautiful. And the way we know this is because of the way that it was determined in, in, in context. That's the way those words are, 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 the definitions are given at the time is by how the word is used in context. The other meaning to the word nan is afflicted. As I begin to think about the two definitions of this word, beautiful and afflicted, I begin to realize that the meaning of the word man is a lot like humanity as we know it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, right off the bat, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What I want you to see is that we were created to be beautiful. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. The word image means to be a reproduction or a duplicate. Our spirit and our character are to be like God's. Likeness is to be like someone, to possess their characteristics and their qualities. What I want you to see is that we were created to shine forth in God's glory, in God's light, and His love, to display His beauty. But nowadays, it's not like that. Nowadays, it seems like we've gotten a lot of things in our lives twisted because for all the beauty that we think, all the beauty that, and light that we think that we can radiate through us on the outside, we are full of our afflictions and our hindrance on the inside, and that keeps us being from being that keeps us from being as God created us to be in the first place. Anything that prevents you from being as God created you is can be called an affliction, and most certainly includes sin. And it all dates back to the garden in Genesis three. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also one to her husband, and he did eat. As people, we can be so beautiful on the outside, yet we continue to be ate up with our afflictions on the inside. I want to welcome you all to a city called Nain. And Jeremy, I'm sorry I moved fast on my scripture, so I know that you can't get them up on the board probably as fast as I'm going to come to them, but I thank you for what you're doing there. Let's, let's go back and look at 11, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. It says, And it came to pass the day after that he went to a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. I, I, I want to look at this. It says the day after... And it came to pass a day after. The day after what? 
that's, that, that's my first thought when I read this. The obvious answer is right back a few, a few verses before where, he, where, where Jesus goes through and he healed this Roman servant. But I want us to look a little bit deeper than that. I want us to go a little bit further back, all the way back to Luke chapter 4, where it says Jesus come out of the wilderness, and the first thing he does, he goes into Nazareth, he walks into the synagogue, and he starts to preach. He preaches in Luke 4.18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. What a statement. After Jesus gets down preaching in verse 20, it says that their eyes were fixed on him. Luke tells us that they were in wonder how gracious that the words were that came out of his mouth. But you all know that just as many as like the words that come out of his mouth, there had to be many of them that didn't. And, and, and many of them begin to reason with themselves, and, and they come up to each other and they say, is this not Joseph's son? In fact, I want you to know that some of them didn't think the words were too gracious at all. Some of them became so full of rage and wrath that they throwed him out of the city. But either way, whether you were on the, on the bandwagon to throw him out of the seat or you were sitting there and all, I want you to understand something here. It was at this point in Jesus' ministry that people started following him. After he stoned out of Nazareth, he came, he came to Capernaum to teach. And if, if you know anything about the Gospels, you'll find out that Capernaum was kind of like Jesus' headquarters. Luke tells us that the words of Jesus were so powerful in Capernaum that the people were astonished. Guess what that meant? That's right, more followers. Luke 4.37 says, And the fame of him went into every place of the country round about. I want you to see that the popularity of Jesus was starting to become somewhat of a big deal. In fact, so many people started following Jesus at this point, I can only imagine it started looking like a parade. So as the parade starts going forth, it makes a stop by Peter's house and it heals his mother-in-law in Luke 4.40. Now when the sun was setting, all that had any, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. I want you to back up. Did you get what that just said? It says, I want you to see that no matter what afflictions the people had, Jesus healed them all. Guess what that meant? More followers. It becomes so many more followers, I kind of nicknamed this parade. It's a parade of Jubilee. And let me tell you something, family. It's growing. It's growing at such a fast rate that Jesus stops by the lake. He borrows a boat. He rows out to the middle of it. And he starts preaching again. The kingdom of God is at hand. Then he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Luke 5, and, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto them, Fear not from henceforth, thou shalt catch men. Sorry about that. My cell phone has a tendency to never, to never be on solid when I need it to. Sorry. Luke 5, 11 says, And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. We can learn a lot from these fishermen right there. Every time Jesus touched our lives, we should drop everything that we do and we should start following Jesus. Nothing in life is important except for Jesus. Luke 5, 12 says, And it came to pass that when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who was seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Luke once again tells us that the fame of Jesus continued to grow. He says that great multitudes came to hear Jesus teach and to do what? Be healed. The parade is growing. I want you to understand at this point that nothing in this world is by chance. Something big is about to happen in a few days. And the only person who can fix it is Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 says, Accordingly, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. Family, I want you to know that nothing is by chance. 
After calling Levi, Jesus directs his attention to the Pharisees. He tells them in Luke 5, 31, And Jesus answered, saying to them, They that are whole need not a physician. But who? They that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus proves his point by healing a withered hand on the Sabbath. After this, he goes to the mountainside to pray. Then he comes down, he ordains the twelve apostles, and after doing this, an entire multitude of people showed up from all over the lands of Judea and Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon just to hear his words and do what? Be healed. Luke 6, 19 says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Let's back up. It says, and he healed them all. Don't you know everybody wanted something from Jesus? As Jesus leaves Capernaum after healing the Roman soldier, the symbols begin to ring out. The parade's growing. Voices and songs and praises, all that's to be heard as the parade marches on. I can only imagine what it must have been like that day to walk on the steps of the parade of Jubilee. To see firsthand all the miracles taking place. What a day of excitement it must have been. God is pouring out the blessings. Everything that Jesus touched becomes as it should be. As God intended it to be. Beautiful. All in the city called Nain. But as soon as the parade of Jubilee rounds the corner, it rises at the gates of Nain. And I want you to understand something here. Time stopped. The last sound of the trumpets began to fade off. Everything that was just so beautiful a few minutes ago, it just became afflicted. The parade of Jubilee just came face to face with a different type of parade. And this is a parade of mourning. Luke 7, 12 says, Now when, they came, or when he came near to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city were with her. A lot of people don't know this, but in first century Palestine, when you buried your people, they would hire people around the city just to walk in a funeral procession. In first century Palestine, you couldn't be buried inside the gates of the city unless you were royalty. So what we see here is this widow, she's walking and she's weeping down these dusty streets of this city, headed toward the city gate, surrounded by a parade of mornings, probably some she knew, some she didn't know, and they were all going with her to bury her son. She'd already lost her husband because we're told that she was a widow. I'm sure that this woman found herself in a bad place. Probably like a lot of us right now. The mourners would eventually return to their homes. and Eventually they would return to their families. But she was going to be left alone. Her support group was grown. How many times have we went through things in life and we felt like no one was there and everybody's like, oh, I'm here for you. I'm going to pray for you. But that may be true. And God bless them if they do. But I'm going to tell you something. At the end of the night, when the lights go out and your eyes close, you're left alone. Life is the same way in today's times. A baby is born, a loved one dies, someone wins, someone loses. God created man, man rebels, beautiful, yet afflicted. The parade of morning marches out of the gates of the city and it meets the parade of Jubilee head on, all in the city called Maine. I see it. I see as this parade heads out of the city, I see this woman crying. She's probably doing all that she can just to hold it together. Probably a lot of us like right now are doing. We're doing everything we can just to try to hold the bits and pieces of life together. She's lost her husband, she's her partner, her protector, her provider. All in a country, you know, in a culture where women were not allowed to work. This is a huge loss. Not to mention the daily stress and emotional strain of being penniless. Maybe even perhaps reduced for poverty. Even homeless or maybe even begging for food. She must have felt like everything that she had in her life was gone, including the future. First of all, her husband dies, and after he dies, she must have had a little bit of comfort in the fact that she had a son who maybe possibly could work. At least she wouldn't be reduced to living in the streets. But now what? What, what? The backup plan's gone. Her son was dead. Not only was her husband dead, but now her only son was dead, and any plans for the future that she may could have ever had, they were dead also. 
Some of us in here right now are sick in our afflictions, afflictions that have shaken us and shattered us to our well-being. We have been plagued by the choices we made in the past, or we've been crushed by the words or the actions of others. On the outside, we wear this mask, you know. We get ready to come into church, and we stand in front of the mirrors before we leave the house, and we put on the makeup, and we apply the lipstick just to give off appearance that when we get there, that we have everything together. We want, to be, we want others to see us as we're beautiful people. Everything's going good. Life's great. But on the inside, I want you to know that we're torn to the center of our well-being with our afflictions. Friends, let me give you some advice. You may fool me. You may fool your neighbors. You may even fool your families and even other friends. But I'm going to tell you point blank, you cannot fool the leader of the parade of Jubilee. He knows your heart's a mess. I want you to remember Proverbs 4.23, I think it was. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I want you to know that he knows the tears you cry at night. He knows that Satan is going to continue to try to dismantle you by whatever circumstance that surrounds your life right now. He wants to keep on blinding you for the trials of life so that you can't see past the pain. But I want you to look at what Jesus says in Matthew 11.28. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Then John tells us in 1633, Jesus says, these things I speak unto you, that in me you may find peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. For what? I've overcome the world. It's time we've overcome our afflictions. It's time we leave the gates of the, name, of the city of Nain behind. But I want you to understand something. It's time, and true. it's true enough that time may help, and, my, and time may heal some situations, but it is only the blood of Jesus Christ that heals and cures our afflictions. In the first sermon that Jesus ever preached, he quotes it from Isaiah 61, and he says, He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I want you to see that by trusting and by believing in the name of Jesus has the power to turn every affliction you have facing you today into something beautiful. In Acts 3.6, Peter tells the beggar at the temple gate, he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want to tell you something, friends. It's time that we got off it. The widow man found herself in a situation that she'd never been faced with before. The two most important people in her life were dead. Her future was shattered. And possibly on the verge of bankruptcy, she found herself at the end of rope. Everything, all of her hope is gone. Maybe you and the things that you got going on in your life right now are reflection of this woman. Maybe you're a reflection of the widow of Nan. Maybe you're at the bottom of your barrel. Maybe you're in an unemployment line. Maybe you're in a divorce court or a custody battle. Maybe you just received a negative test result. Friends of mine, maybe you're even on the on the on the, on the verge of going to prison. I don't know what your I don't know what, what your affliction is, but I know somebody that does. I want you to know that whatever affliction is robbing you of any hope that you have, I want you to know that the resurrection is around the corner. Jesus Christ is there for you. In Isaiah 41, 9, I'm reminded, he says, Thou whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and I've not cast you away. When I was in prison, I went through a lot of things. I went through a divorce of my wife. I lost family members. I lost my dad, my best friend, one that I had just built a relationship with over the last few years. And it broke my heart. It shook me to my core. Then I remember this verse, Isaiah 41, 9. I want, to, I, want to, I want to quote it for you again. It says, thou, you. He's talking about you, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. He's taken me from pillar to post. And he's still there. He said, I've called you from the chief men thereof, and I've said unto you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast thee away. 
When I was in prison in that dungeon, I felt like our hope was gone. I felt like I didn't have nobody in my life. I felt like everybody was out to get me. But Jesus says, look, I'm here with you. I haven't thrown you away. I chose you. You're my servant, and I'm going to be here to the end. The resurrection is around the corner. The widow man didn't understand something here. Praise God, she didn't understand that her only son was about to meet the only son of God. Amen. She didn't understand that one that was dead, that was more alive than ever, who was destined to die, and the other one, and she didn't understand that her son that was alive was, was destined to live. Her son that was dead was destined to live. On the day that Jesus arrived in Nan, he had just led a parade of Jubilee for 21 miles. Can you imagine? For 21 miles, nothing but singing and praising and cymbals and drums and, and everything is becoming as beautiful as God intended it to be. All of a sudden, it gets head on with affliction. The parade stops. It's an affliction. It gets hit head on with sorrow, with pain, with hurt, with crying. Some people say that it was a coincidence because 15 minutes away, the praise would have missed each other. But you can call it what you want because the God I serve, he's always been right here for me. He's always been right there for you. And some of us need to stop standing at the timer on the microwave waiting for the popcorn to pop. We need to get our heads and our eyes focused back on the word of God. He's still right here. Where are you? I heard somebody say it was a setup, but let me inform you of something. The only setup I know is where they took Jesus in the middle of the night through six different trials to find him not guilty. Yet they still mocked him. They still spit in his face. They still draped him with a robe of shame, and they still put him to a death on a hellish cross. And let me remind you of something. Isaiah 53 says he never opened his mouth. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he never opened his mouth. Luke 7, 13 says, and when the Lord saw he had compassion on him. I want you to know that the word compassion means a feeling of sorrow followed by a deep desire to alleviate suffering. You know what that means? It means that Jesus feels what we feel. Everything that you feel, he feels. When your heart breaks, his heart breaks. When my heart breaks, his heart breaks. He knows everything that we're going through. Lamentations 3.22 says, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fell us not. In other words, everything we're going through, he's right there with us. And ain't that something? I, did, I, I didn't know I didn't know that, that we were going to sing that, that the band and, and, and everybody was going to sing that song, but you know, it fits right into my sermon here. Lamentations 23.23 says that new, they are, talking about Lord's compassions, they are new every morning. Can anybody repeat that with me? Great is thy faithfulness. After seeing the widow of name, Jesus turns to her and he says, weep not. Man, can you imagine how that woman felt? Can you possibly imagine what must be going through this woman's mind? I can only imagine if my wife was, was carried out, if I, if I was dead and gone and my, life, my wife was left with our son and she's carried to a funeral home and all of a sudden a man comes up to her and tells her, stop crying. For y'all that don't know my wife, I'm going to tell you what, she loves God, but I believe that man be, that man be blessed right there on the spot. I'm here to tell you. But, but this woman, you know, she's on the way to bury her son. And here's this man along with a parade of what must look like, you know, no telling how many hippies or groupies with long hair, dusty clothes, cracked up feet. Remember, they just walked 21 miles. And all of a sudden, the leader of this group walks up to her and he says, hey, weep not. I see this woman screaming, weep not. Are you serious? Can't you see my son's dead? Oh, don't cry. What? Wait. Oh, by the way, don't you know my husband's dead also? Weep not. But I want you to see something. Really? I want you to see that Jesus wasn't saying, 
Weep not because he didn't care. He was saying, weep not, my dear lady. Your hope has arrived, amen. My dear lady, I'm about to give you a reason to rejoice again, amen. Don't cry because I love you more than you can ever love yourself. And I'm about to do something in your life that's beyond your wildest imaginations. I believe that right now God's wanting to do something in somebody's life that you can't even begin to understand. I believe that right now in this church, there's people in here that may not love themselves. I promise you, you don't love yourself as much as God loves you. He created you. He sent his son to die for you. Luke 7, 14 says, and he came and he touched the bear. And for those that don't know, the bear is the coffin. It says that he came and he touched the coffin and they that bear him stood still. And he said unto him, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead set up. Amen. Did you get the weight of just what happened here? Jesus just spoke to a dead man and he brought him back to life. And whatever got you got going on in your life right now, all it needs is Jesus on it. Jesus can bring anything in your life back to life. Friends of mine, don't let the things in your life that you thought were dead situations be a hindrance or an affliction today. James 4, 8 reminds us, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. I want you to know that nothing that you got going on in your life is too hard for God. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for God? Luke 137, for, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Thank you, Jesus. What an amazing God that we serve. Luke 7, 16 says, and there came fear on them all, and they glorified God. Friends, when Jesus Christ impacts your life, you need to be telling someone. You need to be joining the parade of Jubilee and start shouting to the mountaintops. We need to drown out these afflictions with songs of praise by the, just by the words of Jesus. Anything in your life that you thought was dead could be brought back. He says, arise. Get up out of that tunnel of deception. Get up out of that tunnel of heartache. No more tears. No more pain. No more sorrows. Arise in the name of Jesus. David writes in Psalms 40, verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined me to hear and, and heard my voice. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the merry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he had put a new song, amen, he has put a new song in my mouth, even praising to our God, for many shall see it, many shall fear, and many shall trust in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. tell you what, there is nothing more powerful in this world than Jesus Christ. I, I want to go ahead and ask the musicians to go ahead and come up here. I don't know how long I've been up here, but I want you to know that I feel God in this house tonight. Son, God's got something for somebody in this house tonight. Look at you. All of you are beautiful. There's so many of you out there. I can't hardly see most of you because of the way the lights are in my eyes. But I've heard a few of you up in the tops, and I know that I just can't see you all. And I'm thankful I can't see you all because I might not have been able to speak or say anything up here. But I want you to know that God is here, and he's got something for each and every one of you right now. You may, you may be wanting to just rekindle that relationship with God. You may need to rededicate your life. There may be some in here that don't know Jesus. I would hate for anyone to go away without knowing Jesus today. And as the band starts to play, I want you guys to understand something. There is nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus. I want you to understand that there is nothing more wonderful than the name of Jesus. The story of Nan is an illustration of salvation. We are dead in our sins and our afflictions. 
just as a dad that the widow's son was. There's nothing we can do for ourselves. I want you to understand that. But just as Jesus had compassion on this woman, I want you to know that he has the same compassion on each and every one of us. God sent his son Jesus to speak the words of life back into each of us. The dead boy didn't do anything to earn a second chance in life. There's nothing that you can do to earn a second chance in life. But what you can do is accept God's, eternal, God's gift of eternal salvation. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand something. Do you know what the word workmanship really means? Workmanship means masterpiece. What I want you to see is that we are God's masterpiece created through Christ Jesus. Well, let me ask you something. What is it that determines the value of a masterpiece? When you walk in an art gallery, you see a hangings on the wall, and the agent comes over to you and says, oh, these are all masterpieces. But I want to ask you, what determines the value of a masterpiece? I want you to know that the only thing that can determine the value of, of a masterpiece is what the buyer is willing to pay for it. And I want you to understand that God paid the ultimate price for you. He sent his son Jesus to die the death of a criminal for you. A death where he was beaten so bad that by the time he got to the hills of Calvary, he couldn't even tell he was human. He was covered in spit. He was covered in blood. And as the flesh on his back hung off his bones, they flowed in the air like ribbons in the wind. Isaiah 53, 53 5 reminds us. He said, let me remind you, I want you. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. But it is by his stripes that we are healed. Amen. Hallelujah. We are healed. Friends, Jesus took it all in stride. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and he never opened his mouth. I want to ask you something. There was a point in the Bible where Jesus had a lot of followers, over 500 followers. 500 disciples. And as Jesus starts preaching the bread of life sermon, many of his followers turned around and walked away because they didn't understand what it was. And in the book of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 67, it says that then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you go away also? And Simon Peter answered him, he said, Lord, whom shall we go? For thou have the words of eternal life. I want to ask you today, friends of mine, will you go away also? Will you go away as a dead man, living only just to die? Or will you accept the gift of eternal life today? Will you accept Jesus to wipe away the afflictions, to wipe away the pain, to take away the sorrow? Revelation 21, 3 says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he would dwell with them, and they should be his people, and God himself should be with them and be their God. And God should wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there should be no more death than the sorrow, nor crime. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sit upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things.